Kate, welcome to Commerce Talks. Today we are talking about the hopes uh, about the metaverse um, and uh, and what you would um, advise retailers to do uh, for the future. You are like a futurist, a speaker at a lot of conferences, um, and you you share hope for retailers from the big and mortar world. Um, and I have to ask you why, because I don't I don't have this uh, um, sentiment. Before we're going into the details, maybe introduce yourself and what you're doing. Of course. Well, thank you very much for having me, Alex. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, uh, so we are business futurists. I come from a little team of an independent consultancy that looks at the future of retail in all its forms, actually, not just physical, but digital and uh, this new metaverse channel that everyone's talking about now as well, Tensure's a third channel. But pretty much every consumer touch point in every uh, retail channel comes within our remit. So yes, I do a lot of conferences, uh, including the NRF. I do the big show every year to uh, kind of pull together all the dots, I think, for the global audience on where is retail generally heading uh, globally and what can we all learn from uh, who actually is being successful. Okay, I try to play a bit uh, devil's advocate today to, uh, to challenge it a little bit to make it more interesting uh, for uh, for the for the listeners. So my impression when it comes to the um, adaption capabilities of uh, retailers is that they are not even in the web 2.0 world. So they have a very hard time to come up with a proper e-commerce solution, an online shop with some basic personalization features that is something you won't see at a, at a brick and mortar store like a Tesco, for example. So the, the step into Web 3.0, whatever it is, we'll come to this later, um, seems to be even harder. So what, what, what do you how do you see it? Well, I think <clears throat> not to be too hard on them because retailers do have quite a tough job. Modern retail is rocket science, I personally think. But I think that generally speaking, large businesses that are profitable and have been making money always have an incentive just to carry on doing what they've been doing. And it's with very few examples uh, or exceptions, rather, you know, the Steve Jobs type visionary type um, individuals at the top of companies. Most companies that are doing well just fight fires, uh, work to expand, work quarter to quarter and are not particularly putting their emphasis and efforts at board level into, oh, there's probably some huge, great, big transformation that we need to do in order to maintain this level of success in the future. So they just kind of carried on as they were. And you're right, you know, most high streets in the world up until, you know, certainly at least five years ago were pretty much the same as they had been in the 1950s. Um, and only when actually the world turned upside down and we saw, and even before COVID, we did see mass failure uh, with, you know, excessive um, kind of business plan failure because of the massive increase in e-commerce and the deleveraging of the physical store, the reduction in footfall in physical high streets, but no reduction in rent from landlords. You know, all of that came together to, uh, you know, put retail in a crisis situation. And only when a business faces an existential threat does it typically look at ways to reinvent. I mean, that's that's your classic capitalism for you, isn't it? You just have to reinvent or you die. 
And they didn't really need to, I guess, until relatively recently. And now they do. Um, and, you know, to their credit, I, I don't think they have an easy job. You know, it does involve, you know, deploying all of the technologies that are uh, bestowed upon us by the fourth industrial revolution, which have only come about in the last few years. There is a lack of skills um, in the world and certainly in the West in terms of people who have that kind of knowledge and people with that knowledge wanting to make their career in the retail industry, which has traditionally, you know, not been necessarily the most desirable uh, sector for your bright young graduate computer literate people to go into. So it's been tough. It's tough for retailers. I, you know, I wouldn't knock them <laughs> because they, they've had a difficult job. But yes, they have been slow in that reinvention, but they're not the only ones. What do you do if you were in the place of the CEO of John Lewis or Marks and Spencers? Because they they're in this kind of tough spot now. It's very hard to attract talent. Um, they're years behind when it comes to digitalization capabilities, technology, org chart, developers, remote setups. Um, they are having a hard time catching up with standard e-commerce. So what would you do different? Well, I guess um, that's not an easy um, answer to give. And if it were easy, they would have done it. <laughs> But there are, I suppose, approaches that if I were um, asked to give them advice, I would suggest uh, you've got to be a great workplace. Now, that means adopting the, um, the ways of working that millennials, Gen Z, Uh, are favoring and that probably these days means a four-day week to start with I mean that sounds pretty radical probably but um, as of next week we are a four-day week company <laughs> so it's top of mind for me <laughs> but one of the main reasons we're doing it is to retain the talent you know those good people are hard to come by and then they're hard to keep and I believe the future of work for that sort of millennials and beyond is for there to be greater work-life balance. And we all know that if you're working for a big corporation, there is a degree to which you, you know, they take your soul, don't they? And young people just won't do that anymore, especially the highly skilled ones. So it's got to be a great place to work with, you know, a creative aspect to the work. Um, there's got to be a sort of thread of innovation, like a stick of rock throughout everything the company does. Everything that the company does has to be about regeneration and not just sustainability, but actually putting more back than you're taking out because young people won't work for corporations that are just about, you know, surviving, making money, paying shareholders. They want to work for some, you know, an organization that actually changes the world for the better. So, you know, you've got some great examples that I'm not suggesting everyone can follow tomorrow, but IKEA in Sweden um, investing in solar panels for its um, buildings to such an extent that it's generating, I think, about 138% of the power that it needs to run its own operation and then making the excess available back to the grid on a local person's subscription at cost, which they claim that they're going to roll out uh, beyond Sweden in 2025. Now, even if that is only half real in terms of how it actually works on the ground that is the kind of thing that attracts young go-getting 
you know, tech savvy people to want to work for a company. So I suppose, you know, if I were Marks and Spencers, there's lots of other things I would do personally. You know, you can't also appeal to everyone for everything anymore. That's just not the way it works. You've got to pick a tribe and supply that tribe. And it can't be a tribe that's declining because it's the middle class tribe. And it can't be the one that's declining because they're growing older and declining in that regard as well. So you've got to become, I think, um, more appealing to specific um, types of demographics, unless it's something like food. And I personally, if I were Marx, I would have gone just the food route many years ago. Mm. Okay, and, but do you do you see for such profiles, for such companies with this kind of yeah, problem actually in their customer cohort or let's say a challenge, do you see really a chance with the metaverse activities? Maybe let's start with like defining the metaverse so how, how how you see it and what you see in the metaverse and then let's try to answer this for marks and spencers okay so you know the metaverse there's not just one obviously there are many metaverses um we have things like games like Fortnite. um we've got workspaces which are the relatively new part of this which are like um facebook uh work horizon workrooms and microsoft mesh where you would go and meet your colleagues in a virtual world wearing your VR headset. And um, then you've got platforms and worlds uh, like Roblox, where there are many different, you know, kind of gaming or experiential um, uh, activities for you to engage with. So it's those, basically those three different kinds of um, digital environments which feel immersive because you can well if you are engaging in three dimensions via a three three-dimensional vr headset then it feels as though you are in the internet uh rather than watching it from the outside with a two-dimensional screen which is what we do with web 2.0 um and typically you know with phones and laptops uh without a headset so the idea that the metaverse in future will be something where you very much feel as though you are in another place with other people, but obviously you're just at home wearing your headset. Yeah, I, I think like humans are all always kind of limited by the way how the how the brain works and we try to compare stuff with things we know. So we would definitely use the game uh, um, analogy and to see here, yeah, I see my kids like in playing in Roblox or Minecraft and when they are in that game, with like their desktop device or beamer or whatever or smartphone they're they're in another world already they don't they don't need the vr headset and and they're spending lots of lots of lots of uh, time where they have a hard time is actually understanding how this should be translated into a more like retail slash commerce world because um maybe i'm just looking at the at the wrong set of people but in my network so only very few people own VR devices and though and, and they, they use it actually for experimenting and for playing for playing stuff and the and and the metaverse which is sold to us by um, uh, Facebook or Microsoft that very much reminds me on second life in 2006 which was a total fail so I think maximum like 50,000 people were locked in at the same time at second life's peak and, uh, and and now we are trying to do the same mistake again recreating like the real world like conference rooms and shopping malls and like the offline experience just like in a VR environment 
And if, if I'm going down in the basement, watching my kids playing Minecraft and see, no, it's, it's very different actually how they want to engage and what, what they want to see. So, um, and trying to translate this now to the Mark Spencer uh, challenge, what should they do? Should they rather try to buy some space in Minecraft? Also, they know that will take a very long time to translate into revenues. Or should they buy like $2 million land in whatever Metaverse is, is now offering offering land and build build something where you somehow buy digital, uh, digital assets? Might be NFTs, might be other stuff. Well, if I can slightly pivot your question, I, I think probably now is not time for Marks and Spencers to... I mean, I think they should be experimenting, but I don't think they should be hugely investing yet because their target audience realistically is not um, young people at the moment. But if we go to somebody like um, Nike or Adidas, uh, that's a different kettle of fish. You know, they already have a very uh, youth oriented uh, demographic and they are experimenting in some cases quite successfully already in the metaverse so they are and Carrefour even has now bought land in the sandbox having had a presumably successful pop-up um, in Fortnite of a you know futuristic supermarket where you your avatar gained points by eating healthy food for example um, and they're now buying land uh, to have a more permanent space and you know it's not clear yet what they're going to do with it but there are some very interesting early indications that particularly for fashion and particularly for luxury fashion in particular, um, you know, there's huge potential market for people wanting to dress their avatar in ways that represent their online um, sense of self. Um, people, I think, in Roblox, who are the regular users, change the look of their avatar um daily i think up to 20 percent of the users do that already so the idea of buying digital fashion for your avatar to um represent yourself in game or possibly in a work environment um is absolutely i think um of huge commercial potential and we're seeing platforms like ada ada in places like south korea where you get a realistic looking avatar with your face and you get your own personal um, suite, which is your changing room. You can try on thousands of outfits, which are obviously digital outfits from, you know, the likes of Gucci or Dior. You can make a purchase with a micro, you know, sum of money for the digital version, or you can buy the real version, you know, from $10,000 from Gucci. And now that is something that you can really start to see being of interest to um, fashion brands. Uh, Ralph Lauren has had its um, game in Roblox where people are buying, I think they've sold um, 100,000 items of digital fashion. This is for their 90s kind of ski suit themed uh, Ralph Lauren fashion. And they said that that sold within a matter of weeks. And it was selling for about one pound, one dollar fifty to about three dollars each. So, you know, not saying it's covered all their costs for creating that little kind of game within Roblox, but 
you know, it must have come near to that. And at the last NRF in New York, their CEO was saying that basically, if they want to be in with a chance of appealing to the next generations, which, by the way, are going to be about 50 percent of the world's population by 2030, that's Gen Z and Alpha, they have to be in that game. They have to be experimenting with it and, you know, finding out what it could be, even though it may not turn into, um, you know, the next version of the web in 10 years it may take 30 years nobody really knows but you can't ignore it because the tools it offers are absolutely perfect for engaging that young audience and that's not to mention the decentralized nature i mean second life wasn't decentralized uh decentraland is decentralized you actually own your piece of land and you can build uh, your office or your, your workspace or your home or your game on it and then monetize that. And you actually then own the income in cryptocurrency that you generate. So young people are starting to ask for NFTs from their parents for Christmas. Doesn't even really seem to matter what the NFT is. They've just clocked this idea that you can now make money in the metaverse as well as spend it and i think that's the real game changer yeah so i think that was the best explanation so far i've heard when it comes to um how how companies might look at it if if, if, if they are not reaching gen z and uh, generation alpha today on web 2.0 or whatever we want want to call it they will will have a very hard time convincing those uh um uh, those customers coming to that platform in the next couple of years so it totally makes sense to leapfrog maybe into another into another way to create this kind of engagement uh, um, that's yeah that's that i think is, is something uh, where lots of people can can uh, can relate to but there are obviously some retailers or some companies that are a bit more successful and and many who are not so successful do you have have you developed kind of a framework where you see what are the three main success or failure factors for such companies so if you're looking at a company like boots in uk is there something like check 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 where you can say okay they are going to be successful in web 3.0 or in, in something else i think it's almost always comes down to the culture of innovation i mean i know i would say that wouldn't i because <laughs> obviously i no, no, because I no, because I would argue here. I know I would I would definitely argue here, but uh, because my view is that culture is, is 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 not the it's not the root source. It's it's an it's a result. Uh, um, but we will come to that uh, later. Well, I, I, you know, if you look at our innovation platform, which now contains I think ten years worth of um, what we call case studies, but essentially, you know, business stories of innovation. Um, there are certain brands that just come up literally every week. Every week we've got a new case study from Ikea and always have had, you know, for 10 years. We've always, because they're always coming up with something amazingly new. So their culture or is a culture of innovation and rule breaking. And, you know, they, I'm sure, have had their ups and downs, but they feel to me like the kind of company that will pivot um, will reverse, will um, reinvent, you know, in the same way that, you know, the obvious ones, the apples and, and the fangs, etc., um, you know, move fast and break things. They have uh, an inherent culture of innovation. And I think the companies that 
you know, crashed and burned or just sort of, you know, dragged along the bottom, you know, the, the likes of, you know, Topshop, we, we could see that that was going to happen. We knew that that was the culture to just sort of squeeze it dry, not reinvest. Um, and and but but the culture just the, the culture argument is now around for let's say 10 years so and even like the um, slowest thinker in Marx and Spencer's board should have understood like the impact of culture and they try to change it and what we are seeing or what I'm seeing with many retailers is that we have to we have to create another culture here like the Apple culture or the IKEA culture in your um, example but what they are doing is yeah okay let's let's go out let's 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 build um, something together in the wood my clap 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 sing a song and then back to the office so companies that don't have this culture do have a very hard time to create this culture. I would even say there's close to none example where this kind of old legacy culture could have been replaced with this fresh IKEA, Apple, Facebook kind of culture. There must be, there are think? some examples. I mean, you know, Selfridges has done very well consistently over the years, you know, with the little blip of COVID, which you can't blame them for. Now that's always been a big legacy well not big it's small it's a small number of stores but it's it's always been the top department store globally um and you know that's just from a culture of innovation and that they weren't tech people ever but they may have because they maintained a sort of success which brings glamour which brings desirability as a place to work they would have attracted, uh, continuously attracted uh, innovation-minded people in a way that was certainly not the case with a House of Fraser, which you just knew was a fuddy-duddy place to work. <laughs> and for years and years felt fuddy-duddy and old-fashioned and would never have uh, attracted the right people or the best people, I think. Um, and so I don't think it's completely true to say that a legacy business can't reinvent um, but, but how, how, how did Selfridges, how, how did Selfridges uh, reinvent their business? So, because like for the ones that don't know, Selfridges is a, it's a chain of high-end department stores, if I understand, mm -hmm. in, in, in the UK, mm -hmm. but they're still weak uh, on commerce, though their, their digital experience w was never in a situation where they could, um, could get market share back from the ASOS, uh, Zalandos of this world. So they were okay. In retaining the business, but they were not doing so okay in really developing it, it further, which is the case for IKEA. So IKEA, I agree. So it's like they're really expanding and trying out new things. So Selfridges, from what I see, and maybe you have a much better view and data in the UK, it's just they're last man standing. Well, they're not entirely the last man standing. We are seeing some reinventions of the department store, like Wow Madrid in Spain which has just opened and it's by the former CEO of El Corte Inglés and it's his reaction to what he's observed as the decline of the department store and it's his reinvention of that and he would say this is not a store this is a experience and it's a place that you come to for live music as a tech-led fitness space it's where you go for uh, culinary classes. It's where you have direct consumer brands that you wouldn't see elsewhere. It's got an Instagram studio. 
it's a you know got robotic uh, restaurants so basically it is a department store but it's the new version and it's all the experiential stuff and that's, and that's what Selfridges that's, that's well. a store in Madrid and this department store the new one this is located yeah, in Madrid yeah it's called wow w o w madrid and it is absolutely gobst gobsmackingly amazing and we've been to have a look at it it's only been open a very very few weeks and it is staggering despite the fact that not everything is open yet and not everything's working yet but it is a true reinvention and i think as we move towards that web 3.0 and more people are spending more time in the metaverse And I, I, I read recently that Gartner, the research company, thinks that by 2026, uh, we will be spending a quarter or a quarter of us will be spending at least an hour a day in the metaverse, shopping, being educated, you know, leisure time, uh, all the rest of it. Now, if that does come to pass and it does seem to me to be moving in that direction, I think we will see a backlash where there is also a greater need for physical retail, which is that kind of flagship stroke experiential stroke town square place that we meet our friends and do fun stuff that you can't do as viscerally, even with a haptic suit in the metaverse. I believe, I believe on the social aspect of like meeting wherever it is like town square or on a farm, but I don't believe that we need retail for it anymore so we don't need to go there to Funnily buy enough, to buy a suit i have or... never heard a woman say that i've heard thousands of men now not to i'll probably get letters now saying that that's a sexist sexist comment but i'm literally just telling you the truth no woman has ever said to me that we do not need physical shops in the future ever but thousands of men have I mean, I will stand by that because it is an absolute fact. So but, some men but you shopping, agree that the, but that... many don't. Yeah. But I've never met very That's... many women who do not enjoy the hunting and gathering of the retail experience when it is good. And so I just don't believe it'll go away. It's, not... it's a part of human requirement. It, it is. But it's going away already because that's showing the data. Thousands and thousands of 10,000 shops are already closed and they're still closing. And, and the data is also showing that many of the retail businesses operating on a horizontal horizontal retail model, so not offering something very exclusive, but rather just trading stuff that is also available in other channels, maybe even at the same street, they have very, very thin margin. They cannot afford like the, the rent anymore. They cannot afford the personnel anymore. And even though there might be five out of 10 people willing to go to the store for having a, a brick and mortar experience, some of them women, some of them men, the store owners, the store operator cannot afford to operate the store the way it was operated the years ago. And all the stuff I've seen so far, even when the retail trade shows was, okay, let's do even a bigger store, a more shiny store. That. Let's have some more personnel there, but it's not, it's not supported by the retail. Well, bad retail is failing and will die. Yes. Lululemon is now a $6 billion company and expects to be a $12 billion company by 2026. They're doing that by opening large numbers of new stores and being very good at selling on e-commerce. So that is good retail. That is the kind of retail that I'm talking about where you go there to engage in a yoga class. 
you go there to uh, hang out with other yogi type people and you go there for the cafe and for the healthy smoothies because a Lululemon flagship is now a yoga world. And that's where we're heading, experiential retail, or it will be a dark store, or it will be a micro fulfillment center, which may not be open to the public, or it may be, or it may be a vending machine that's multi-stories high. There are many uh, formats for the boring kind of retail that you're talking about, um, which still survive, yeah, but, but even but the, in their current even the form. New but even the new retail, let's, let's take the Lululemon example, because Lululemon had to close many stores in the last years because they are not working. Lululemon is not a super hot brand in many markets anymore. They are now following the Abercrombie Fitch, uh, Fitch, uh, Fitch way. And I agree, and that is, for example, something Douglas, Douglas is doing, um, like the, 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 the beauty, um, the beauty um, chain in, in Germany. I agree if you're really investing in this offline experience, having your, your in, a, in a beauty environment, you have obviously your, there could be a, a dresser, there could, there could be lots of like beauty related services could be in a beauty store. In Lululemon, it's maybe healthy food, um, sports, class, whatever store. But when, when, when those chains are expanding fast, then only one out of 10 stores is like following this like perfect future retail pattern. And all the other ones are just like prime, minus locations, let's say, where just put their stuff in. And um, when this kind of brand hype is over, which is happening with Lululemon, if you're like looking on Google Trends and how it is selling, so uh, then those stores are not working anymore. And in order to, and you don't need this um, this space anymore in the city for this high quality stores. You, you maybe need only 20% of the uh, uh, of the space you're having today in a in a city for providing this kind of experience, and in the other eighty percent you don't need anymore. And I agree, those cool twenty percent, even I as an online shopping man, I really find it interesting. But still, today we are looking at ninety five percent boring retail concepts. I agree that we will be uh, seeing a shrinking high street for retail and that some things that are currently stores will not be in the future. In fact, a lot of things. They will be gyms, university spaces, they'll be residential, they'll be old people's homes, they'll be dog parlors, doggy daycare, um, and all those other things that the community needs, which isn't necessarily retail, but it's useful to have it relatively close together in the center of town. Um, that is definitely for sure. And what we get left with in the kind of non-flagship retail is essentially omni-fulfillment retail, which is, as I've said, enhanced click and collect, service stations, places you go for advice, places you go to experience a product, to touch and feel it, talk about it, and then order it perhaps, you know, via the, you know, e-commerce and you have it delivered home. It doesn't need to be physically in the store you know, no buy showroom spaces, spaces which are um, media hubs uh, for broadcast to the world on YouTube um, to convey the brand expertise, etc. Or where you dial in uh, through concierge services to speak to an expert and, you know, get advice about styling and all the rest of it. You don't need to physically go to a small and boring store that does not have great amount of stock. Um, in order to, you know, experience good service from a, a modern retailer, I agree. So that's what we call the 
omni-fulfillment revolution. That's what's going to happen to regular high street stores. Fewer, smaller, uh, more tech enabled, more click and collect enabled, and more about service uh, and the long tail of e-commerce and fast delivery home, et cetera. But I do think there is still and will always be a space for those flagship experiences, which are kind of brand ambassadorial and experiential and are so good, like the Lego flagship stores, that you will actually pay for some of the experiences that you can have in there. So you pay $20 for the 20 minutes in the experience room uh, for the kids to engage in all those digital activities. But what they would say is what you're paying that $20 for is not the time you have in your experience room. I forget what they call it, the experience lab or something. Um, it's the artifact, the physical item that you get to take home after that, which is a memento of your customized experience in the store. Mm, I agree. I agree. Maybe allow me one last question. So how has your own shopping behavior, grocery side and fashion furniture has changed over the last uh, years? Is there already like a remarkable online share for some of those? Actually, items? I, I, <laughs> I like to live a relatively analog life and I'm lucky in that I live within two minutes walk of a perfectly good supermarket. And so I tend to walk pretty much every day. I nip in to supermarket, <clears throat> kind of French style actually, uh, which is relatively unusual for a British person. Most Brits do um, use e-commerce delivery. I feel bad about that because I don't like, um, I don't feel that the eco uh, impact is good. And I think if you can use your own legs, you should. Um, however, I have certainly changed my Uh, shopping habits significantly with regard to perusing brand stories on platforms like Instagram, where I, I am, like everybody else, for things that I find, um, you know, the algorithm is obviously working its way around my brain and understanding that I like vintage clothes and puppies. <laughs> I get the most amazing puppy videos and some very interesting global purveyors of very unusual kind of authentic, you know, vintage clothing. And so I get fascinated and can lose hours looking at these kind of reels and stories and images on Instagram. And obviously that's that is a relatively new phenomena and that's not going away. And that's absolutely social commerce. And that's how young people do their shopping. That's how they discover brands that they're interested in. It's how they, you know, want to buy them in the future. It is what we call alt-commerce, which is a subset of e-commerce, which we think is set to grow. Yeah, actually, last year there was a uh, interesting study coming out, like from a couple of um, um, very serious institutions that showed that the carbon uh, footprint, um, online versus offline, in the case you're taking a car to the supermarket or to the inner city, is like three times worse in the in the brick and mortar environment because you need to heat the stores and it's very inefficient, like to unpack and pack all the stuff. And it's the same in grocery. So as long as you're going going to the supermarket, I think it's on par. But I, but I would not be surprised if it's even better from a carbon footprint perspective already now, uh, getting it delivered by, I don't know, Picnic, Ocado mm. or I think or whatever. I think there's various opinions on that. My understanding is that robotic automated click and collect that you uh, go to on foot within a 15 minute sort of walking city 
as we're now seeing in Paris with the likes of um, Deli Pop, is actually much more eco-friendly than having anything delivered home um, or going to the store yourself. So I think that that is... Yeah, that, that I, I agree. That I agree. That I agree. So, but then there's no unpacking and presenting it in a store, and then you're just going to a big box and collect it. Indeed. Yeah. In, interesting. So you still see see chances for the brick and mortar retail, uh, um, and you see chances for uh, for even for brick and mortar retailers doing stuff in the metaverse. Maybe it's a timing question. That was a very good uh, 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 remark and. Obviously, if they're not able to reach Gen Z and Gen Alpha, is it now the younger ones um, uh, today, then they must they must pivot into that uh, um, direction. Kate, thank you for your time. It was a tremendous content uh, um, here. Also, um, we might have not come to the same conclusion on every um, every topic. I really enjoyed it, and maybe see you at the shop. Talks. Thank you very much. Very very nice to talk to you.